0: Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. I'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of my listeners. I've been amazed by the response to the last few episodes of My Camino, the podcast. The download figures are incredible. I'm so touched and honoured to be part of your lives. So thank you. I caught up with one of my oldest and dearest friends this week, and he said... We're so lucky to have each other. And I was thinking about it on the drive home. We're so lucky to have each other. I really want to make these podcasts something special. I know we're at more than 200 interviews, but I love when I really hit the mark and the discussion resonates with people around the world. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want you and me to have an hour or thereabouts of real genuine connection. I actually don't like talking about myself so much. I prefer for my work to do the talking. But touching base, touching lives, touching stories, every aspect of this journey is bringing joy into my life. I just feel so blessed that thousands and thousands of people are tuning in each week to share my journey. We're so lucky to have each other. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago. And if you type Camino de Santiago into Google, there are 160 million results. Books and movies and blogs and advice and columns, songs, YouTube channels, podcasts, you name it. And the story is quite simple. It said St. James, who was one of Jesus' 12 apostles, left the Holy Land after Christ's death and resurrection and headed to Iberia to preach Christianity. The locals were fighting the Moors and said, We like what you have to say, James, but we're just in the middle of something. So James returned to the Holy Land and was beheaded by Herod and martyred. His followers put his body in a stone boat and sailed his remains through the Mediterranean, out through the Straits of Gibraltar, into the Atlantic Ocean and up to Galicia. They buried his body in a field. It was discovered by a shepherd in the 8th century and a majestic cathedral was built to house his remains. That city is called Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. I've only been to Santiago three times but each time I'm struck by the majesty of tradition. The history is palpable. I've stayed in Rua de Villa just off the main square three times, forgive my pronunciation. And for someone born and raised in the rural Queensland town of Toowoomba in regional Australia, it's unthinkable. You could not possibly imagine somewhere more removed from Santiago de Compostela. But here I was, in front of the cathedral, housing the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James'. All of my history came flooding back. All those biblical stories, the nuns, the priests, the brothers, talking about St. James. Here I was, just meters from his remains. A pilgrimage in his name, standing in the town square, hugging people from all over the world. Other pilgrims who had walked the Camino. I should have mentioned before that the Camino is a pilgrimage, and some of the other people I stood with and hugged in Santiago had walked thousands of kilometers. One had walked from Norway. Another pilgrim had overcome extraordinary hardship to even be on the Camino. But we were all together pilgrims from around the world. We wanted to share and care. We wanted to keep the spirit of the Camino alive, alive in our hearts, our souls. Someone sent me a piece this week from a Northern Irish poet and writer, Nikita Gill. It's called Old Souls. She said, There's a beautiful thing inside you that is thousands of years old, too old to be captured in poems, too old to be loved by everyone, but loved so very deeply by everyone. Souls. Heaven can wait. Let's walk together. In the meantime, my guest this week is a Canadian pilgrim, Dwight Oatway, and he's on the line from British Columbia. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Pleasure to talk to you. I love Canadians, and we'll get to the Camino soon enough, but you wrote to me to say that you're heavily involved in your local community and involved in the local church. It's a big part of your life. Why is that, do you think?
1: Well, Dan, uh, I think... It was something that, uh, was called, you know, I, I felt a calling, uh, many years ago, my wife and I, uh, went on a marriage encounter weekend. We had be, started going back to church with our young children. And from that particular weekend, which is a, a weekend where you, uh, a three day weekend, which is used to enrich marriages. And from that, uh, Got us going back to church a little bit more regularly, and from that uh, got involved in the church, and and uh, it's continued ever since then. And uh, it's something that in my life it fulfills what what I uh, what I enjoy doing.
0: And you mentioned marriage encounter, and you also were involved in the Casillo movement or the Casillo movement. My parents did both of those: marriage encounter and Casillo. Uh, Mum used to come home singing um, De Calores. After De Calores, the, yes. Yeah, after, <laughs> after the Casillo, or casillo uh, weekends. But, so marriage encounter, I always remember we had a sticker on the back of our car. It was like a heart and, and two hearts and a cross in the middle. Um, so marriage must be very important to you then. Yes,
1: yeah, it ranks right up there. Uh, it was kind of interesting to go on this Camino to go by myself. Uh, It was the first time I'd really ever gone on a holiday by myself, if you want to call it a holiday. And uh, it was a big decision to to do it, and without my wife.
0: Yeah, so tell us about the Camino. How did it come into your life? How did you find yourself on the Camino? Well, that's that's a story. Uh,
1: About a little over 10 years ago, I walked the West Coast Trail with uh, our priest at the time. And uh, that's a, a a famous trail on the West Coast of Vancouver Island here in Canada. And it's a seven day hike. You have to pack everything with you. You have to pack your food, your tent, everything, because there's no facilities along the route. It's about 75 kilometers long and takes mostly, most everybody takes about seven days. And while we were on that walk, uh, Dan mentioned the Camino. I'd n- never heard of it before. And Dan said, you know, when we get done this, maybe we should think about doing a Camino. So from that, uh, we talked a little bit more and one thing led to another and it just never worked for the two of us to get together and and do it. And then uh, I guess about four years ago, I started reading a little bit more about it and thinking, you know, I'm gonna turn 70 here pretty soon Maybe that's something I could do for my 70th birthday.
0: So that's kind of how it came about. Yeah, right. And so you did a bit of research. What do you think was the, the final light bulb moment that made you go, no, now is the right time I want to go? And you mentioned it was the first time you'd had a holiday or, or, of sorts <laughs> on your own. Tell us that story.
1: Well, uh, you know, I, you, you talked about doing research I, I did a lot of research. In fact, to the point that I I didn't want to do any more. I, I felt I was on on overload with information. Uh, some of it contradicting one another. Uh, different things that I read. Uh, finally, one day I just was sitting at the computer doing some things, and I checked into flights and seen what prices were. And I was was doing that, and my wife came along and said, "What are you doing?" And I said, well, I just was looking here at what it cost to get to Spain. And she said, well, if you're serious about it, let's, you know, why don't you do it? And I guess that was kind of the final push. And I just hit the button
0: and booked a ticket. Oh, fantastic. You wrote to say to me that you you mentioned your wife there, Islay. You wrote to say that you as a couple had lost five close friends in 2017, two of whom You delivered the eulogy. The Camino, you say, was part of the healing process. Was that a conscious decision to use the Camino as a healer, or did that simply emerge for you when you arrived?
1: Well, you know, before I went down, a lot of people asked me, you know, why I was going, and for quite a bit of the time, I I couldn't really say why I was going. Uh, And then as time got closer to leave and we'd lost these friends, uh... I thought, you know, it would be something of a a healing process to go on a walk uh, remembering these friends as we did. And uh, as it turned out, it, it really was a, a healing process. Uh, just to carry on the story a little bit, I, I took a tie from one of my buddies that had passed away and I tied it onto the back of my pack. And as it turned out, that was kind of a... <laughs> A flag, as people would stop and say, well, "Why, why have you got that tie on on your backpack?" And of course, I'm a bit of a a jokester, and I would say, "Well, I heard when you got to Santiago de Compostela, you needed to dress up a little bit to go to church, <laughs> so I brought my tie with me." And I said, "I thought I'd just air it out on the back of my backpack." But anyway, uh, I had that on, and and. Uh, on one of the Curcio weekends when I was a leader, uh, another good friend that had passed away had uh, had made a cross for me. And uh, it was a very special cross. And I wore that the whole time <clears throat> on the walk. And that was just a reminder of these two special friends that, that were uh, with me on the walk. Yeah. And... Uh, the other three people that uh, I knew very well uh, were also with me on the walk
0: and, and uh, give me strength as I, as, I, as I went along the trail. What do you think you learned about yourself then in the process of losing those friends and the Camino that followed? Well, that's a good question, Dan.
1: I, I, you learn, I guess, that you know, life has to go on even when you have these tragedies in your life, uh, it's probably not easy and uh, we have to work at it and it's, you know, one day at a time. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the main thing uh, that I
0: learned. Yeah, I think walking is very good though, isn't it? Walking is good. It's like you feel almost like step by step, you're striding some of the grief out of you.
1: Yeah, walking is healing, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. I read something the other day about if you want to go on a fast walk, walk alone. And the other part of that is if you want to go slow, walk with others. And I, I, I think it's not necessarily physically walking with others. That that might be walking with others in your own mind. And uh, as part of the healing process, you're, you're walking with others.
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's great. We mentioned that you're a churchgoer. You're part of a vibrant and involved community there in British Columbia in Canada. What were yeah. you able to take back to that community as a result of your pilgrimage, do you think?
1: Well, I put together a PowerPoint uh, presentation, and the uh, church asked me to, to uh, show that at, at, uh, at church which I did, it was well-received. You know, how do you condense a yeah. a 36-day trip down when I had 1,500 pictures, how do you condense that down to, say, an hour presentation to a group of people? Uh, I know I've been to lots of different presentations of people who have gone on holidays and it tends to get boring after half an hour looking at pictures. So I tried to boil it down to about 80 pictures, and that was very hard to do, and then explain uh, the trip as best I could so they would understand just what you were doing, you know, when you yeah. walk 25K a day.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you write a blog or have written a blog, and I've, I've read it. It's a great, uh, it's a great insight um, into what it's like, to be honest, because a lot of what you write about are the simple things that you do every single day. You know, yes, because they become part of that routine, and that routine is just, in a way, it's relaxing. You know that that's all you have to do at the end of the day: wash your clothes, put your feet up, and wait to walk again the next day. Tell us about cutting your face on a rose bush.
1: That happened about the second day, I think, uh, going going down a steep hill, and I wasn't paying a lot of attention. It was kind of a, a, a part of the trail that had been. Uh, they put rocks down and, and made it a, kind of a, a footpath with these rocks and it was raining and it was very slippery. So instead of walking on the, on the rocks, I was walking beside the trail on the, on the dirt mm. and not probably paying a lot of attention. And I looked up just at the wrong time and there was a large rose bush sticking out right where my head happened to hit. And I Cut myself on on my uh, on my face, and uh, luckily there was
0: somebody there that could help me heal. <laughs> but did, did, did it leave a mark? A nasty cut?
1: Well, I, yeah, it was it was visible for about a week or so. And oh, people wow. would say, "What happened to your face?" And I said, "Well, that's a story."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and your knee started to play up.
1: Well, yeah, going down the hill from uh, into. Uh, uh, just I, I've just forgotten what the, one of the hills there. About the second or third day, uh, it was a steep hill, and and my knee started bothering me. And then and, and the particular was Zubri, where we were going down to, the second day sort of yeah, thing. And yeah. uh, the fellow at the Abigail uh, had a had a uh, a knee brace, and he said, "Here, one of the pilgrims from a few." months ago or whatever had left it he said I have no use for it why don't you take it so that you know they say the Camino provides yeah that was a good example of how the Camino provides I was able to uh, wear that for quite a period of time and then uh, I left it at a Abigail by mistake and I hope somebody else took advantage of it
0: and so you were able to walk without it then no problems
1: after, yeah, my, by the time I uh, misplaced it, which was probably two weeks after, my knee was feeling okay and, and and I was fine.
0: I read your diary. You said you were walking to Los Arcos. You stopped and had a hamburger and fries in a wine cellar. Yes.
1: Where, where? Yeah, that was kind of neat. We were, we were actually supposed to stay there that day, and uh, we got there early, and so we were... Decided we were going to go further, but we needed to stop for lunch. And we were looking around for a place to eat. And we found this little kind of hole in the wall. And we walked in and the fellow said, you want to come down to our wine cellar? <laughs> so we went down this set of stairs and we were the only ones there. And uh,
0: we enjoyed a, a great hamburger and fries <laughs> and a beer. You write... Um, really well, and when I talk, when I when I mentioned before about writing about the sort of day to day stuff, you write about the walking, and you write about walking into the wind. It's not something people talk about very much, but walking into the wind is really tough. Oh, it is.
1: When we got up on the meseta, uh, the reason I, I guess I, I talked about the wind was because about four days in a row we had, you know, a twenty mile an hour wind that we were walking into and it was hard, hard going. Yeah. It it really adds to the, to your strength that, you know, that takes to walk into a wind like that when you're, when you've got your pack. And, uh, we all kind of mentioned that it was, was definitely a lot harder walking into that wind.
0: Did you ever get lost?
1: Well, the only time I ever got lost was one, uh, coming into Burgos and, uh, I, uh, my Camino family had gone ahead and I was behind a bit and I was walking in the dark and was having trouble finding the markers and I asked a couple of times people on the street to help me this was early in the morning and I wanted to get to the cathedral where I was going to meet my Camino family and uh You know how you get directions? Sometimes you get good directions and sometimes (laughs) you get directions that don't really help you a lot. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I got some of the both, (laughs) but anyway, to make a long story short, I didn't make it to the cathedral and you know how you meet people and and, uh, they just kind of come out of the woodwork. If you maybe ran into some pilgrim down the road a, a week before and you run into them again, well, I went into a hotel because I was using Wi-Fi to connect with my Camino family and asked the hotel if they had a Wi-Fi that I could hook into to phone these people. And the lady wasn't very cooperative. She didn't want to really give me the Wi-Fi because I wasn't staying there. And so it took me a while to to, uh, get her to let me use the Wi-Fi. And just as I started to make the call, I looked out the window of the hotel And there was my Camino family standing there, looking in the windows, wanting to know when we were leaving.
0: (laughs) So in a big city, you can meet people pretty easily. Yeah, that's right. How funny. That's great. You write about Burgos uh, and the history of the region. The cathedral built in 1221 took 300 years to build. Columbus was received there in 1497 by Queen Isabel. The Napoleonic War was from 1808 to 1813. How mindful were you, Dwight, of the history, the footsteps of pilgrims before you, and remembering that you had done a lot of research? I did, but I I
1: think now that I look back on it, I probably could have paid a bit more attention to some of the the, uh, history, more of the history of it. I think that's, for me, I always enjoyed history in school, and uh, I think I could have probably got maybe a little bit more out of the walk if I maybe have paid a little bit more attention to some of the history, uh, like the story of Charlemagne and uh, close to Roscoe Valleys there. There's the, the part that where Charlemagne uh, armies were, were situated, and some of the other stories along, like the history of uh, the Cathedral of Burgos and Columbus and those sorts of things, I knew some of that, but not not a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, you really can go crazy on the history in Spain. You could be completely Yeah, you can get on information by... overload. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's good to do your research to know the significance of some of the places you wander through. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating. indeed, uh, in, in the blessing mass we had in Sahun in the Benedictine uh, convent there, and at the back of the ro- at the back of the chapel, there are all the kings are buried there. they're entombed there, just in that little chapel. There, yes. there were the kings of, of, of ye, ye olden days, <laughs> just in the back of the cathedral. Not even a cathedral, it's just a little chapel. It was amazing. And you, you write at one point in your blog about Castrajerez and your stretching regime. Tell us about your stretching regime.
1: Well, our, my Camino family consisted of uh, three other people, Manuel and Maria were a German couple, a young couple, and Brett was a uh, Aussie. And uh, we hooked up the very first day. And uh, we were all kind of, of the same on the same uh, wavelength. We got up early in the morning, we wanted to get going and stop later on for, for breakfast and that sort of thing. And about the third or fourth day in, Manuel said, you know, if we did some stretching after we walked, we'd probably feel better. And so we started this routine of uh, doing stretches uh, probably for about 15 minutes or so after we, after we stopped. And uh, I found it to be a tremendous help for my aching bones and muscles. And I think the rest of the group thought it really helped them too to
0: stretch and, uh, and relieve some of the tension. I don't think we, we, you can o- overestimate the significance of stretching. Yes. It, it, I think Particularly given that you seem to, well, I certainly did, get a lot of that soreness in the shins and the calves, the back and yes. lower, lower part of the calf. Where you take a lot of the impact of walking with a backpack, and I, th- I think stretching, just even putting your toes on the gutter and stretching your heels down into the gutter, um, helps. Yes, yeah, stretching's a great idea. And and you mentioned there the Camino family and those those two companions that you work- walked with Manuel and Brett. Why do you think we form these these odd sort of couplings on the on the Camino? These odd friendships.
1: Well. it's... I don't know. I, I I really hadn't thought about it before I left. In fact, I didn't even know the phrase "Camino family." Um, but uh, just to tell a story, it, I met Brett in Paris on our way. I was sitting in the the lounge waiting to uh, for the plane, and uh, I see a fellow sitting with a nausea bag, and so I as I tend to do, I went over and said hi, and we got talking and found out what we were doing the Camino, and he was flying to Brits like I was, and he said, how are you going to get to Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, and I said, well, I I wasn't sure yet how I was going to do it, find a bus or something, and he said, well, I'm taking a taxi, do you want to join me? And that was the start. When we got to Brits, we... We chummed in with another fella, and we took a taxi, and then the next morning, the three of us started out walking together, and uh, the other fella, Mo, we were walking too slow for him, and uh, Mo took off, and Brett and I carried on, and we ran into Manuel and Maria at the bottom of the hill. We, we were doing the Val, Val Carlos route, yeah. because the uh, the other Napoleon route was closed, and we walked uh, starting the fifteenth, sixteenth of March. Right, and uh, it was kind of at the bottom of the hill there. We start at the steepest part from on the Val Carlos road. Uh, we met Maria and, and uh, Manuel. We didn't really walk with them up the hill, but uh, when we got to Rosca Valleys and got into the Al-Bage, uh they ended up in our in our pod, and we ended up going for supper with them and the next morning we took off kind of half together and the rest is history we ended up walking probably
0: 26 27 days yeah. together wow that's great it's it's it's, it's yeah, lovely it was, it, and it's lovely to have those connections afterward too isn't it for sure. Yeah. Tell us about the Cruz de Ferro. Um, Dwight, it was particularly moving for you because of a bus crash back home in Canada. Tell us that story.
1: Yes. Uh, getting the Cruz de Ferro, uh, that was two days after a, a, a bad bus accident with a hockey team here in, in Saskatchewan in, in uh, Canada. Sixteen boys were killed. And... uh
0: what was this? Were they student, know, students, Dwight?
1: They were hockey players, uh, younger hockey players. They were probably age sixteen to oh, twenty, oh, sort of dear, dear, dear. thing. And uh, I was keeping uh, touch back home with on WhatsApp, and I was writing a bit of a blog on WhatsApp every every day. And people had told me that about this bad accident. And uh, so that was just two days before Christophero, and when I got there, uh, it was a very emotional time, not only because of that, but because of the five people that that, uh, that I was remembering on the walk, uh, plus a, another uh, person that had cancer that had been just diagnosed just before I'd left. So all of these people were on my mind, uh, as I got there. And of course, I think, you know, the, the history of, of bringing a pebble from home to yeah. add to the pile, which I did. And, uh, it, it
0: was a very emotional time. Yeah. Gee, what a story. Um, tell us about, um, a group of pilgrims outside Lemiros, a, a a group of young christians giving out free hugs
1: well that was interesting too we we were walking <laughs> down the down the trail and uh, we come around the corner and here was this just kind of a little uh, they were selling uh, souvenirs and they were giving out drinks and then there was a sign in english that we give out free hugs so i never turned down a hug <laughs> so uh, at that particular time my brother was walking with us and uh, we stopped and talked to these people for a little while and got a hug and and that uh, was uh, one of those times on the on the way that uh, kind of sticks out in your memory as as something that really really touched your heart.
0: Yeah, how lovely. You stayed in a lot of pensions as opposed to albergues. What was the thinking behind that? <laughs> Well,
1: up until uh, uh, my brother joined us in uh, Lyon, I had pretty well stayed in, mostly in Abbeys. And uh, my brother, who is more of a, uh, as you like to put it, spreadsheet pilgrim, uh-huh. <laughs> he likes to have things planned out ahead. And uh, he likes to stay in, in a, maybe a little higher class Uh, place than I do I
0: don't mind somewhere somewhere that might have its own shower yeah
1: I don't mind sleeping with 30 other people but his idea was let's get a room for the two of us with our own bathroom and and so I didn't fight that too much I thought well that's that's a perk that uh, will feel pretty good at the end of the day so we stayed I think we only maybe stayed in one abogate
0: together The rest of the time we were staying in pensions. So did your brother walk with you to, did he finish it with you, walk the whole way from Leon? Yes,
1: he walked from Leon to uh, Santiago. He had a a lot of problems with blisters. Mm. And so a couple of times he took a taxi ahead or a bus uh, ahead a day and would wait for me. And then depending on how he was feeling, uh, getting his blisters looked after uh, he would walk a day and then take a taxi ahead for another day. So, so, uh, yeah, he, uh, he did most of it, but I would say probably three or four days he, he took taxis ahead.
0: Tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela then alongside your brother must have been lovely.
1: Yeah, that was, that was great. We, we'd stayed really close. So we only had 10 K to walk, uh, on the morning that we arrived in Santiago, uh, It, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, Found out that it was very emotional by the time we uh, went by the uh, area there where the uh, piper plays. Yeah. And then down into the main square in front of the the cathedral. And uh, we just spent some time there uh, looking for other pilgrims that we might know and, and taking a few pictures and uh, yeah, it was it was an emotional time for sure.
0: Yeah, and then Dwight, you walked on to Finisterre. Did you walk with, alongside your brother all the way to the coast? No, he uh, he was still
1: suffering from blisters, and so uh, the following after we got to Santiago, the following day I left for Finisterre, and uh, he met me and uh, how do you pronounce that, Oliver? And walked the last 30 kilometers. Uh, we walked the last 30 kilometers together hmm. to uh, Finisterre.
0: What do you think the Camino is trying to tell us, Dwight?
1: Well, overall, they're probably trying to tell us to slow down a little bit.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Take, you know... Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, what, what, I, what I wrote in our Christmas letter this year. At the end, uh, my wife had actually found a little uh, thing of Charlie Brown and Lion, Linus talking. And they say to one another, I think when the dust settles, we will realize how little we need, how much we actually have. And the true value of human connection and uh, that's great I think that that can sum it up if you go on the Camino it can you can find out just uh, how much you really need, how very little you need, and how much you have, and
0: the human connection along the way That's fantastic. I love that. I love that Charlie Brown and Linus how fantastic yeah. <laughs> Charlie Brown wanted to come up with that. Yeah, only Charlie Brown. Australians and Canadians are very similar people, and we make good pilgrims. Why do you yes. think that is?
1: I I don't know. Maybe it was uh, our ancestors leaving a country that they probably were, uh, you know, accustomed to and part of, taking an adventure out into the unknown, Uh People that went to Australia, people that came to Canada immigrated. My grandfather uh, immigrated from England in uh, 1900 or so and uh, started a farm in Saskatchewan. It's, it's probably, you know, you don't say they were pilgrims, but they probably, you know, were of that uh, vintage of
0: pilgrim. Yeah. Yeah. We have a very strong connection with Canadians here. 23 years ago, my now wife Jennifer and I hosted a teacher exchange program. And our flatmate, Patrick, went to Roblin, Manitoba in Canada to teach for a Mm -hmm. year. The Canadian teacher, Tom, arrived out here on Australia Day. It was 38 degrees in Sydney that day and he'd left Manitoba. It was minus 40 (laughs) and it was an almost 80 degree turnaround from the northern hemisphere to down when he arrived down here he didn't know what hit him the poor poor guy and he went down to bondi beach that day we lived at bondi beach he went down the very first day and they were ringing the bell and he said what's the bell for and i said sharks and he he didn't talk for about 10 minutes he just stood there and we all went straight <laughs> we were all we, we all went straight back on the water once the bell had stopped and you know it's okay you just go in and he was he was pale. He's just so frightened of what was happening. But he loved his year here, and we loved him having him. He was just a terrific fellow. We have a lot of
1: we have a lot of Australians work here on the ski hill. Of course, and, yeah. And they have Australian Day. Uh, there's a big, usually a big contingent of Australians uh, having a good time on the ski hill. And
0: and so. What is the the uh, uh, the industry in w- where you live in British Columbia? What is it? Is it tourism? Industry.
1: Uh, there's a bit of mining, uh, forestry. There's a pulp mill here in Kamloops. The Kamloops is a city of about uh, ninety thousand people. Uh, tourism is is probably big, but you know, with the COVID crisis uh, epidemic, uh, tourism is probably pretty well come to a halt yeah yeah but uh, forestry and mining is uh you know and agriculture there's quite a few cattle ranches in the area
0: yeah yeah oh, i've got to get up there i have to get up there what do you think then as australians and canadians and and koreans and the english and the scottish and the irish the welsh The French, the German, the Swedish, the Nordic, all those people from all around the world, pilgrims that come together. What can we learn globally from pilgrims?
1: Well, there there could be a a lot of, uh, you know, we're all human beings. We're all of the same nature. Uh, We can all live together in peace and harmony if we we can just uh, get it together somehow. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we're all part of the fabric of the world.
0: Yeah, what does you what does your wife make of your journey now? What does this lady think about all of this?
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know what she thought originally, but uh, as we kind of talked later on and, and more about it, uh, we talked about doing the Portuguese uh, Camino together. Uh, my wife. Actually, pronounce it Isla. Oh. Uh, has bad knees and, and has a hard time with downhills, and so we think we might still try and do it if this COVID crisis uh, wanes in the next year or so. We might be able to get over and do the Portuguese. I, that's on my on my bucket list at the moment.
0: Fantastic. Oh, won't you please say sorry to Isla? I didn't know that's how you pronounced it. i sorry <laughs> about that. I was calling her Isla all the way through. Um, tell us a Camino story, Dwight.
1: A Camino story.
0: Uh, well,
1: I was with my Camino family, and we were, we had, uh, I was about seven days into the trip. And we'd had a few wet, rainy, cold days. And as we were walking along, uh, Brett says, "I'm not staying in an Abogate tonight." He says, "I'm staying in a hotel." And I said, "Oh, I really don't want to do that. I, I just soon, you know, carry on with Abigail." He said, "No." He says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a hotel." And he pulls out his phone and he phones his wife in Australia. And he says to her, uh, "I forget the name of the town we were coming up to." He says, can you look and see what kind of hotels there are in this town and book us a hotel? And she says, I'll see what you, I can do. So about a half an hour later, the phone rings, and it's Brett's wife. And he, she says, I've, I've got you a hotel. So anyway, we walk into this town, and this was about a, a five-star hotel. She'd booked a suite with two bedrooms, big living quarters uh bathroom with heated racks where we could dry our clothes wash our clothes and dry them and i'm not sure what that hotel cost because i didn't ask brett but i helped pay for it and that was one of the best nights we ever had (laughs) staying in that hotel we needed that he said that's our that's our perk that's our perk this week
0: (laughs) What a relief it must be to to. Oh, it was.
1: <laughs> I think the night before we had stayed in a place that didn't have any heat. And in uh, and, and that time of year, it'd get pretty cool in the evenings. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, your clothes wouldn't dry very good. And so I think we really needed that
0: kind of perk to to keep us going. Hey, you know, you mentioned before, I just looking at my notes here, I've got a question mark besides taxi. And that's because do you remember how much the taxi cost from Barritz to Saint Jean?
1: Yeah, Barritz to uh there was three of us and he charged us fifty euros each.
0: Okay, fifty Euros each. And how that would that take an hour and a quarter or an hour and a half or something?
1: Uh, I think it was around an hour.
0: Yeah. To yeah. Get, to get yeah. there. And I
1: and, thought it was a little I thought it was a little bit steep, but you know, it was worth it just to get there, we got there early, I was able to uh, buy poles and get my shell and get, get our stamp and our passport and kind of get orientated and uh, I think it was worth it actually to, to get there early and, and kind of get the lay of the land before before
0: we started. And did you um, book accommodation in St. Peterport Port before you went? Yes, that was the was
1: the only place I'd booked ahead. Was right.
0: I booked a place in in uh, Saint Jean? Okay, so even when you were staying in pensions, you just did walk up as well.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't book anything uh, along the way. Uh, in, in March and early April, uh, it wasn't wasn't that busy, huh. and uh, we never had. Uh, a problem finding a place to stay uh, in a pension or, or an abigee as we traveled.
0: You know, the, uh, well, I suppose the, the, the notes that you've written, is there a book on the way? Is there a, could she write a book, do you think? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I thought, well, the writing's... Very I'm, not,
1: I'm not a book writer. My, my brother just... Finished writing our, our family history, uh, a, a, about a 250 page book that uh, that he just finished here about six weeks ago, and uh, he did a very good job of the family history of, of my my dad and grandfather and my mother's side of the family, which is uh, is very interesting history. Uh, my dad was an interesting fellow, and uh, before he passed away, he, he, uh, <clears throat> he, he sat at a computer and he composed about 75 pages of um, memoirs, uh, all single space, no paragraphs, uh, just carry on just typing. And my brother was able to put it together into uh, stories in our book and it,
0: it turned out really well. How lovely! And what great foresight on your father's part to put down his thoughts like that.
1: Yes, yes. He always was. He was a storyteller, and uh, he uh, he was encouraged a little bit to do it. But it didn't take much to to get him started on on
0: uh, on putting his memoirs on paper. Yeah, fantastic. Just before we finish. Dwight, the notes you sent through, it opens by saying, here I am going into the unknown. Was that scary or exciting? <laughs> I think a little of both. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: I, you know, I, I don't, I think I got a little bit better at, at putting my thoughts down later on, but at the start I wasn't sure uh, just exactly how to express what I was feeling or what I was uh, expecting in that, in that uh, vein. So I think uh, saying I was going into the unknown, even though I'd done a lot of preliminary study and I, th- I told people I was on information overload, I still thought I was going into the unknown.
0: <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give to somebody thinking of doing it?
1: Oh, I think just do it. Don't don't hesitate. <laughs> just, uh, I belong to a my wife and I belong to a walking group here, a Nordic walking group here in Kamloops. There's about twenty twenty five of us, and three of us have done the Camino. So there is uh, that camaraderie there that uh, we share, and uh, I think other people look at us and think we're maybe a little bit nuts,
0: but. Uh, <laughs>
1: I think deep down inside, they wouldn't mind doing it too.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? When you talk, sometimes when you talk about it to people, oh, their eyes glaze over. But other people, you can see that it's really registered with and resonated with them.
1: When I was getting ready to go the cathedral where where we go to church, the minister invited me up to the front to give me a blessing before I left, and he he gave me a a card. Which has several prayers on it, uh, kind of daily prayers, and I like to just share one uh, that, that's on this this card. Terrific, and, and it goes: May my conversation be significant. May my meetings be blessed. May 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 my path cross the paths of others who love you. May my path cross the paths of others who don't know you. May my touch be your touch of. Infinite, infinite gentleness may my words be your words of wisdom may, may, may my eyes see your compassion
0: wow that's great and that's just on a little prayer card you were given it's on a little prayer card actually
1: it comes from england there's a right. an organization that puts these prayer cards out there they're kind of prayers for every day uh whether it's a busy day, quiet day, and there's there's about eight or nine prayers on this uh, little prayer card.
0: How and wonderful!
1: It was you, small enough, that, and you carried uh, it, you carried it with you all the way. I carried it with me, and I read it every day.
0: Oh. Yeah. How, how lovely! Did you pray? Was that the only praying you did? Did you did you pray while you walked? I think we
1: uh, walking can be a prayer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me it is for sure uh just just the act of walking as a prayer and uh yeah i went into quite a few cathedrals and and churches uh one of the ones i remember the most is uh leon uh where we stayed at the the abigail there was a a benedictine uh monks actually it was uh women who ran the uh the they put a service on in the evening, uh, all sung by the, uh, by the nuns uh, the, in this particular place. And uh, it was very moving.
0: Yeah. It's such a wonderful experience for you and for me and for all those people listening. It's, uh, it's only a matter of time before we're, we're back there, enjoying those wonderful experiences again. Hey, Dwight, thank you so much. For your enthusiasm, your sharing and caring, and we'll all be back on the Camino once the world is back to normal, sooner rather than later. I'm coming to Canada, I swear, British Columbia, Kamloops. Well, it's on the list of gigs for sure.
1: If you come, we will welcome you with open arms, that's for sure.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for your time, Dwight. Buen Camino. Buen Camino, Dan. Thank you. My guest this week, the Canadian pilgrim, Dwight Oatway, and someone... Sent me a piece this week from a Northern Irish poet and writer, Nikita Gill. It's called Old Souls. She said, There's a beautiful thing inside you that is thousands of years old. Too old to be captured in poems. Too old to be loved by everyone. But loved so very deeply by everyone. Souls. Heaven can wait. We're so lucky to have each other. Let's walk together In the meantime, until next week, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino.